guys doing? Welcome again to another episode of Under the Dome, where more things happen before the show starts than I think during the show itself. We're gonna have to do a pre-show just so you can see. No, no. Right here. When we release the box set of our first we're gonna have studio. The box set? Oh yeah. That'll be a big seller. I'll buy all the copies. Anyway. Welcome to episode of Under the Dome. I'm Alan Ork, your host, and alongside my uh, drinking partner here, Sean Williams. How you doing, Sean? Here's to you, brother. Uh, oh well, thank you, everybody, for joining us tonight. We have uh, two very special guests that we're going to get to momentarily, right after we the bills. We want to thank... Uh, 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 wait a minute. I didn't write that down, did I? <laughs> I thank Fan First Production. Uh, Hey, I haven't drank that. It's just been a it's been a long day. I I went and had my blood pressure checked yesterday, and I don't know a lot about blood pressure, but they told me that when it reads 170, the top number, like mine did at my appointment yesterday, they said that's not good. So I have to go to another uh, uh, blood pressure doctor day after tomorrow. But anyway, getting back to the task at hand, we want to thank Fan First Productions for being our sponsor. We want to invite you guys to go and uh, subscribe to us, not only on YouTube, but also on iTunes. Uh, the iTunes is, as Colin puts it, is a much more user-friendly because it's not uh, the video version, it's the audio only, so you don't have to look at us. You can just hear the silky sound of our voice. Uh, and uh, real quickly, next week on our show, we're going to have one of our buddies to come back. Uh, Tyler Raymond, who writes for writes now for That Dish, and uh, he wrote a very uh, very cool article. I'm going to wait and let him tell you about that next week. Uh, but uh, anybody out there that wants to know about this really cool article, that hit me up. I'll uh, I'll be glad to share it with you. He's got it very close. He's got it framed in his office. Uh, by the way, normal blood, well, blood pressure is 120 over 80. So if you get 170, yeah, that's a little high. Woo, you're a little high there, Sean. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I'm one of them hot blooded machismo kind of guys. Would it be by the same uh, I told my, transactions? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I so we got. Uh, so you better go to the doctor unless you want somebody else raising them kids. Yeah. So, yeah. Going to the doctor. <laughs> uh, Alan, I'll let you do the first intro there. All right. Well, um, the first introduction is to a kid that uh, some of you may or may not know. Uh, no, not a baby goat. Um, my son, Matt, uh, who's wearing a Jimmy Graham jersey. That's not mine. That's his. Um, he's uh, broadcasting from his apartment in beautiful downtown Lafayette across from Cajun Field. Uh, how you doing tonight, Matt? Oh, I'm doing fine. Down in the daiquiri, doing fine. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Man after sister, my own heart. You and your sister are turning alcoholics. Terrific. I don't know where the hell that came from. Um, well, you know. <laughs> hey, I, I heard about your Mardi float. Yeah. I, well, actually, you know, when I rode, here's the thing, because it was the first time I ever rode in a parade, and uh, I never finished one, no, I finished one beer, I barely finished the second. You're drinking beforehand, 
uh, because I'm too busy throwing stuff, you know, and, and you don't have time to drink anything. So, you know, you have to get trash before the parade starts. That's how it works. Oh, hey, as long as you have an itinerary, I guess that's what matters. That's it. I had a good time. I had a real good time, though. It was a lot of fun. Oh, by okay. the way, before I, before I introduce our next guest, uh, I reported last that a very good friend of ours, a big supporter of our show, was in the hospital in the intensive care unit. Uh, I can tell you now that Puffy is out of the intensive care. He's in a regular room, and hopefully by the end of this week, he should be leaving the hospital. So, And he told me this morning that he was going to be watching the show tonight. So, Puff Daddy, we wish you the absolute very best, brother. Hope you get well soon, and I'll see you in the morning. Uh, without any further ado, man, see, everybody's wearing black and gold except one. Uh, he, he's got that that bird on his hat. So, uh, <laughs> but he's a uh, <clears throat> he's a, for the Seattle Seahawks for us. Uh, we've had him on before the the week of the Seahawks game. Zachary Vesh. Uh, how you doing, Zach? Doing just fine. I get to get off work and come talk football with you boys. So it's a good day, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, real quick, uh, we want to get we want to uh, get into things quickly tonight. Uh, we want to talk about uh, the newest developments in the Brandon Cooks, Malcolm Butler trade, uh, gash, uh, fleeting, whatever you want to call it. Alan, uh, can you kind of bring us up to on where we stand with that right now? Well, you know, the Brandon Cooks trade is in the books. Uh, basically, we gave up Brandon Cooks for, a, um, as everyone knows, a first-round pick, the 32nd overall pick, and uh, the third-round pick, which was a low third round, is a compensatory pick that the um, Patriots got from Cleveland. Uh, I'm guessing for the Collins trade. Is that correct, Matt? Yeah, yeah okay. So we got that pick, and then we gave them our fourth-round pick, which, of course, Bill Belichick immediately set on fire and threw into Bayou Signet because um, that pick he had to forfeit for Deflategate. And the ruling was from uh, Darth Goodell was that uh, the, the, uh, the Patriots had to give up the highest fourth-round pick they had. And in this case, it became the Saints' fourth-round pick. So essentially, we gave them a pick – that we knew they were going to throw away um, so they could keep their fourth-round pick. So we gave up Brandon Cooks essentially for the 32nd overall pick. And I look at the third-round pick as we traded our fourth to move up, what, six spots to get to the bottom of the third. Um, and that's just that's just a reality for me. I, I, I mean – the Malcolm Butler deal, that's a totally separate entity now. Um, it has nothing to do with the Cooks trade anymore because what people have to understand is Butler is a free agent, a restricted free agent, but a free agent nonetheless. He doesn't have a contract, so he cannot be traded unless he signs his tender, which he's not going to do that. Um, and that is the whole crux of why we didn't trade cooked for Butler like people were assuming it was going to happen. Yeah. I, I, I was, um, as I understand it, Alan, 
and mm -hmm. bear with me here. I'll, I want to go through this list to make sure that this is at, as it is supposed to. As I understand it now, we have uh, in the first round, we got two, 11 and 30. In round yeah. two, we've got number 10. In round mm, three, yeah, ten pick we have round. in round number three, we have pick 12 and 39. Mm -hmm. uh, we have no fourth and no fifth. No. And in the sixth, we have 12, and in the seventh, we have 11. Is that is uh, maybe Matt can answer me clearer on that? That's as it is as at the moment, correct? Right. That's as it is at the uh, moment. We have in day three, we only have a sixth and a seventh. We have two third rounders, a second, and two firsts. And your fifth rounder went away because you traded that last year for the right to go into the yeah. fourth round to get Onyemata. Uh, um, so you traded you traded your you traded your fifth round pick in 2017 for the right to get into the fourth round of 20 the 2016 draft and we drafted David and Anyamata from um, Canada. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. So that's why we don't have a fifth round pick. When we look back at it, say benefit of maybe ten years. Uh, in the future, do you think that we're going to look back at the 2016 draft at as being one of the best of the Sean Payton era? <laughs> uh, it's got to be now. Um, here's my thing. Okay, you you traded Brandon Cooks, who was a thousand yard receiver and had almost the same numbers and what 81 catches, 78 catches, or something like that, for over a thousand yards. Um, I think Brandon Cooks may have wanted out, but I think the Saints' attitude was we need more draft picks to draft defense if, we, if we're going to do that, or draft to fill positions of need. And yeah. I thought about this today as I was listening to another podcast. Back in 2006, when the Saints were demolishing the Cowboys on Sunday night, Joe Horn's on the sidelines, okay? And allegedly – and Joe Horn talked about this um, as part of the reason why he went to Atlanta in 2007. Allegedly, Sean turned to Joe at some point while they were scoring 42 points on the Cowboys and said, see, we don't need you to do this. And you look at Joe Horn's career. Joe Horn was a leading receiver for the Saints from 2000 to 2005. Okay. And it seems like since that moment in 2006, the Saints have had the attitude of, if you start to think that you're bigger than this offense or that you're critical to this offense, yeah. we're moving you. And he did this with Jimmy Graham and he went to Seattle. And now he did this with Brandon Cooks. And I, I thought about that. And I'm like, okay, that kind of makes sense. Uh, because we did it with Reggie Bush. We did it with Darren Sproles. We've done it with almost every player that, you know, has seemed to be the, the player that if we – once we lose this guy, oh, man, there's no way. Our offense will never be the same. And yet here we are. We're always number one. Or anywhere from five to one is a top offense in the league. So they felt like we can afford to lose a Brandon Cooks because we could always bring in somebody else to fill that role. We can draft somebody to fill that role and then it, we'll just keep going. We'll keep rolling the way we, we always roll because we have Drew Brees and we have a system that produces. 
So now we're going to start looking in the draft at receivers. But on the, the other thing is they look at the free agent class that came in and they knew who was probably going to get tendered. And most of the best players were tendered. And they looked at the kind of money teams were going to throw around at players. And they said, okay, we're not going to be able to get all the needs that we need to have filled in free agency. So we've got to make some moves in the draft. And I think that was the other thinking behind trading Brandon Cooks. We need the picks. We need access to if we have two first rounders, then we could take care of the defense in the two first two rounds. Then we can start addressing um, receiver, third running back, um, whatever defensive play we don't get out of defensive end, linebacker, cornerback, safety, all those kind of things, because now you've got what? We just said, what, five players in the top 100 to choose from? So I think all those factors play into it. So now to answer that long about way, to answer your question, yeah, the, two, the 2017 draft is going to be huge because you've got to make it work. You've got to be able to get – four starters or four people who contribute at a high level like you got in 2016. And that's just the way I see it. I agree completely. And I, I do believe that, and I, I've had this conversation with, uh, with Puffy, as a matter of fact, this morning, uh, I think that this team is closer than what a lot of insiders are allowing, um, they want to tell you how many players we are from being a contender. Well, that that's all fine and good if that's your thing. I, I'm not looking at it that way. I'm looking at the fact that we lost nine games last year by six points or less. That's one more possession. That's one less fumble. That's one extra touchdown where you kicked a field goal. That's one field goal you didn't have blocked. When you get down to the intangibles being the distinct factor of games, you're close. Well, and I think, you know, and I, um, we'll see here the same thing on the Seattle. I think Seattle can look at this, uh, their season pretty much the same way. They are a handful of plays away. You know, Stephen Hoska has the total meltdown this year after being one of the more consistent kickers in the league. And right away, you know, they can look and say, okay, if Hoska doesn't miss that extra point, if Hoska doesn't miss that field goal, you know, we have a good chance of winning and probably beating a couple of the teams that they lost to this this past year, including well, I mean, the Saints. You can, you can look at our, at our schedule. There were what? Uh, right off the top of my head, there were three games that we lost on kicks that were blocked. Correct? Yeah. The Giants. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the Broncos and something mm-hmm. else. The, the uh, Carolina Panthers. Games, right? Carolina Panthers. Yeah. Uh, in Carolina on Thursday night. On, on, on blocked kicks. Yeah. You take those three games, that moves it from a 7-9 and nine record to a 10-6 and six record. And then you look at the free agent moves they made. What's the first What's the first players they signed? They signed Ted Ginn Jr., kick returner. They start signing all these players to to fill up your free agency with banjo and, and, and so forth. Um, they're trying Theo. to build – yeah. They're trying to build up the special teams aspect, which is really falling apart. You've got new special teams coaches. You've got a new linebackers coach. You've got a new defensive line coach. They signed Okafor today as a uh, 
outside linebacker slash pass rusher, maybe not as a starter, probably not as a starter, but somebody who's going to come in and rotate with players to rush the passer. So, you know, they're trying to address those needs, and their attitude is, let's say they give up a second for Butler, but they draft a cornerback at the bottom of the first round. So here you've got um, two new corners coming in, plus bring maybe bringing back more. Plus you'd have Bro and uh, Williams and Swan and all the other players that you've, you've, been, you've been working with that were all injured last year. So now your secondary may be a position of strength. So, yeah, that's how they're kind of looking at this thing. Bring in bodies, bring in these pieces, and see what we can do with that. Uh, but let's not all try and do it all in one one swoop, you know, via the draft. Which leads us, of course, let's talk about the draft then. Um, what did you guys uh, – we'll start with Matt since Matt's been the quietest here, and then we'll get over to uh, – we'll go over to Zachary next. But, Matt, who did you see or who impressed you the most out of the combine that you think really boosted their stock to – say, in the top 20, because I won't nail you down with the top 10. Let's say the top 20. Somebody who was probably a borderline second-round player that may have vaulted in the top 20. Besides the obvious, which is Hassan Reddick, Reddick is around the 4-5-2. That's something that you don't really see every day. Uh, another player I would have to probably say is uh, probably John Ross from uh, Washington. He was a bit of a uh, kind of a late first round, and based on free agent was going uh, late second round, kind of a mid second round. But uh, now uh, he's uh, he's kind of vaulted himself to being worthy of top twenty. Though I don't know if he will go top twenty, just because it seems like wide receivers being taken left and right in free agency. Who do you think he would go to if he went in the top twenty? Who would be interested in him? Off top of the bat, probably Cleveland, just because why not? But they I, lost uh, they lost trouble uh, Terrell yeah, Pryor, so they really Pryor. have nothing. Yeah, they lost. And they have seven picks every round, right? Yeah, yeah. They've got an unbelievable amount of picks. Oh yeah, that that GM's a uh, pick hoarder. You might see one. Hey, yeah, you'll see one. It's on money. Moneyball. To have that many and still suck that bad is is monumental, brother. They're playing. They're playing moneyball. They're getting rid of letting everybody go and hoarding draft picks to uh, to load the roster up with a lot of high draft picks. It's 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 a daring plan, but if they pull it off, it's going to be incredible. Yeah, um, to, uh, Terrell Pryor though, he's loading it up next to him. <laughs> because of uh. Uh, because of, like, contract breakdown. Like, he wasn't giving him what he wanted. And seeing what he got from Washington was basically a one-year deal for $8 million. You got to really look at it and go, Cleveland, how bad did you F up? <laughs> how bad did you have to F up to let him walk, to go to another team to basically get a cheap contract? Well, uh, Zach, who do you uh... – you, you can say the same thing about – New England Patriots with Malcolm Butler. Uh, what did Butler have to do for the Patriots to bring in uh, somebody that wasn't even on their roster and give him the money that Butler was asking for? Well, that's that's the red flag to me with Butler. Why are the Patriots so anxious to get rid of him? Um, yeah, it, it's not because they don't want to pay him. Well, they don't want to pay. 
because they're not paying somebody. They're paying uh, Gilmore. So the question becomes yeah. now, why do they want to not pay him? What do they know about him that we don't know? Yeah. And like I told you all off the air, you know, you try and get to a, a stare down contest with Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick could beat a statue in a stare down um, and a flinch on anything. Um, no. Zach, Zach, who did you, let me let me ask Zach real quick. Who did you see do really well in the combine that kind of vaulted themselves in the top twenty or into the first round? And where do you see them going? Well, this, this guy I'm going to talk about here really quick. I didn't really know much about him going into the combine, but he caught my eye uh, just strictly off of uh, the way that he ran uh, the forty, which was a four six and a forty one inch vertical, and that's uh, the D end out of uh, Texas A&M, uh, Miles Garrett, I believe is his name. I just think the guy mm-hmm. is uh, an impressive talent. I think he can come off the edge, really set that edge for you in the run game and get after the passer as well. Um, so he would be my go-to guy who's kind of that sneak, maybe late first round, early second round that maybe vaulted himself up higher. Um, as far as where I see him going, I mean, you could – I'm going to take Cleveland out of the equation because they could pick anybody at any position. It really doesn't matter. So they're, they're definitely in there. Um, but you got to look at the teams who, whose defenses weren't very good. You could go to uh, a Jacksonville, um, maybe another team who's just short of one or two players to try to, to bolster that defense to get them to the next level. Uh, a Tennessee, maybe uh, even uh, a Carolina who I believe they just lost one of their defensive events to new England. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah. I think he really made a, a name for himself in the combine, and I think we're going to see him go a lot higher. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I, I can see that. I have, uh, as for whatever it's worth, I have Garrett picked as my uh, first pick of the draft going to Cleveland. I'm pretty sure you're going to find no draft where he is not the number one overall pick. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we're that, more that, familiar with with Garrett though, because uh, we're from yeah, because he's South and Allen played. Mm. Yeah, he's from Seattle. Yeah, I don't so I don't know a whole lot about the, the SEC or anything like that. I know a few of the big name guys, but uh, I hadn't heard a whole right. lot about uh, Miles Garrett. But um, watching watching the combine, he just jumped off off the page of me, man. It, well, well, Zachary, was there anyone to you that and I? I'm going to make this a little tougher on you guys. Outside of Reuben Foster, is there anyone that really you you think maybe could have hurt their stock by participating in the combine? Not off the top of my head. I don't. I don't have anybody really off the top of my head that I think uh, really hurt themselves. Um. Yeah, man. It was it was a guy, Taco Charlton. He's a guy from Michigan, I think is his name. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think he, he – there was a lot of talk about him coming into the thing. I didn't see anything really impressive out of him, nothing to to jump him to the top of the board. Um, so I'm not going to necessarily say it hurt him, but I don't think he proved anything. Yeah. How about you, Matt? I got two guys in mind, both of them from the SEC. The first guy is cornerback Jalen Tabor, I was very disappointed with him because, for one, he ran a 4.62, and he's six foot 199. There was Cordero Tankersley from Clemson who, went, who ran a 4.4 uh, even, 
And then you got uh, Tabor, who's not that much different, ran a four six two. I didn't watch him run. I just saw, saw the results. So I don't know if he had like a bad get off or any, anything like that. But he had a, a t- he was basically ranked in the bottom five in almost everything: vertical, broad, uh, three cone. He, he just had the worst day of his life. And the second guy is Zach Cunningham from uh, Vanderbilt. I know there's a lot of Saints fans that want Cunningham. They want him on a team because of his explosiveness. He's a high-producing player. Let me tell you, in uh, open field position drills, every analyst was saying he looked stiff when he was uh, trying to uh, do all those drills. And I have to agree with him. When I uh, we looked at the film, he he looked stiff. He looked like he didn't look like that explosive linebacker that everyone was clamoring him to be. And he already has one big knock where you got to leave him open because he can't disengage from the, from uh, stronger blockers. But now seeing him in that terrible combine, I'm sorry, I don't want him on the team. I think he'd be a bad he'd be a bad selection. What about what about Sidney Jones? Uh, his injury now affecting the corner position. How do you see Sidney Jones? Um, affecting the draft because I'm reading everything from he could drop, you know, he was a guaranteed first rounder before his knee injury. Now after the injury, you're talking maybe third or fourth round before a team may take a a gamble on him. How do you see that affecting the board as far as, uh, excuse me, cornerbacks? Well, you got, you had a lot of teams, especially the top 15 that wanted a cornerback. The Eagles are the first team that comes to mind. And they were, they were probably primed to take Jones. But now with that mm-hmm. uh, that tour in Achilles tendon, it's going to flux a lot of people. You're going to see, for one, a lot of reaches. You're going to see maybe Marlon Humphrey from Bama being taken in the top 15, who was probably a late first-round pick. You're probably going to see uh, Chidobe Awuze, Cordero Tankersley. You're going to see a lot of guys that probably had these borderline first-round grades become reaches, or they might try and trade down and have uh, these teams get, uh, <clears throat> get players that they wanted, and you'll see those teams later, later in the draft getting getting cornerback like that. Do you think that Sidney um, Jones is worth taking a risk on now? I do. I personally do. I watched him in, in the in the Pac-12 this year. Um, mm-hmm. I think the kid is outstanding talent, and that's an unfortunate injury during your pro day, especially in the last drill of your pro day. Uh, but say he bounces yeah. back, the, the kid's got ridiculous talent. And um, not only that, I was going to bring up Sidney Jones. I figured you guys would anyway, but I was going to talk about him too. Uh, there's another guy I also wanted to talk about. Um, during the season this year when uh, when Washington went on their run, quarterbacks started throwing away from Sidney Jones because he was such a shutdown corner. So they started throwing the other side, and that's when you run into Kevin King. Kevin King – is no slouch at the opposite corner himself. He ran a 4-4-3-40, which isn't John Ross fast, which nobody's John Ross fast, but it's still pretty good time. And he stepped up huge this year when teams started going to the other side of the field away from Sidney Jones. Um, as far as cornerbacks go as a whole, um, I also like uh, the cornerback from Florida, Quincy Wilson. I've been watching tape on these guys all year because Seattle with uh, the injury to Deshaun Shedd, uh, in Atlanta this year in the postseason, we needed another another opposite corner of Richard Sherman. So I started kind of looking in uh, possible guys that may fall to 26 to Seattle. 
And I would be ecstatic if we were able to get a guy like Quincy Wills. And I watched some tape on him. I think he's a good shutdown corner. Uh, with Earl Thomas coming back this year, uh, Cam Chancellor coming back this year healthy. He'll have help over the top. K.J. Wright and Bobby Wagner are good at dropping into cover coverage, helping out on routes across the middle, and give the rookie an opportunity to get some man-to-man situations as long as he has help over the top. I think he'd be a great fit in Seattle, and I think he's a – He's in one of those guys that, that may fall to 26. Well, and I'm glad you brought Quincy Wilson up because that is a good example of something I was thinking about. With Sidney Jones dropping because of his injury, you know, and you possibly can get him late in the draft or later in the draft, uh, a player like a Quincy Jones could see his stock rise to that bottom half of the first round because, you know, you're going to start seeing like a run on some of the corners. You'll start seeing the, you know, say a Dory Jackson going early because of his kick return skills as well as playing corner. Uh, you'll see some of those guys kind of moving early. So you see those borderline second round picks. Um, I put together a mock and I'm probably going to publish this one. Well, I don't know if I'm going to publish it. I might, I, I might share it with you guys later on. I put together a mock where I had uh, the Saints actually drafting an LSU player, uh, Tredavious White at 32. How, how dare you? <laughs> Ah, I know, I know, but here's a guy that was again a borderline one, two, but you could get him at the bottom half of the first round uh, because now you see that kind of that run on corners because of Sidney Jones is out. So that that's just I'm just forecasting based on Seattle's needs, uh, based on some of those teams at the bottom half of the drafts needs Atlanta. You know, teams like that will need some new corners. And I can see him still being available around 32. Yeah, like I said, you're, so we'll you're going you're, you're to see a couple reaches of corners in that draft. I think one, one Especially because of the size. Yeah. A lot of them are coming in at six, got, which is pretty good. Yeah, you've got, you've got a lot of big receivers now in the NFL. And now you're getting a lot more big cornerbacks. What? Uh, Lattimore is what? Six foot. Um, Humphrey's six one. Sidney Jones is six foot. Tabor is six foot. Um, uh, the guy we just talked about, Quincy Wilson, six one. You know, so you're seeing um, a lot of big, tall, physical corners who can run. And I think you'll see a lot of teams jumping on those guys over, say, uh, Tredavious White, who is 5'11". Uh, and granted, he's got a good leap, he's got a good jump, and he's got great speed. But if you've got corners that can run or just as fast that are taller, you can see guys reaching for the tall guy as opposed to taking a 5'11 guy. That's just how I see it. Yeah. One I, I could be totally uh, wrong. we looking at was a guy from uh, Colorado, Akilo Witherspoon, 6'3", 198, had a great 40, had a fantastic <laughs> vertical. I think he was top of the uh, class. Mm-hmm. I really liked him going maybe second or even third round. Found him, thought of him highly. Um, Zach, who uh, – if you were doing a, a mock draft for the uh, for the Seahawks, who are the – what positions in need are the greatest for the Seahawks? Uh, offensive line, cornerback, two things we talked about. What else do you see? Well, yeah, like you said, O-line's number one. Uh, Cornerback, we need some depth there. There's no doubt about that. Uh, We also need an outside linebacker. Last year, 
um, losing Bruce Irvin to Oakland um, and kind of moving Frank Clark into that role worked a little bit, but we need a solid outside linebacker to be back there with Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright. Um, another position I think you're going to see them go after uh, is depth at safety. Camp Chancellor is getting older. Earl Thomas is getting older. Injuries are becoming more troublesome for both guys, and we're running out of depth there. Kelsey McCray is a guy who played uh, a bunch of games for us last year uh, with uh, Cam going out or, or Earl Thomas going down. Um, and even at one point, we had brought Jerron Johnson back. So there needs to be some youth and some depth put in at the defensive back position all the way around. Um, offensively, it's one of those things where I don't think there's a whole lot that we can do there other than the offensive line. I think we have decent receivers. You might see somebody get picked up, but Tyler Lockett's coming back from that broken leg. You still have Doug Baldwin. You still have Jermaine Curse. Paul Richardson came on in the playoffs last year, so he's probably going to be seeing more time. Still have Jimmy Graham you could throw the ball to. We may get Luke Wilson back. Tight end's one of those positions. You either draft a guy or still try to bring in a free agent to fill in. Um, but I, I think it, it all comes down uh, to defensive secondary and offensive line. Those are the two main spots we need to hit. Yeah, especially after you made monster uh, running back signing today. Congratulations, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you, man. We got the Hamburglar back there. <laughs> I'm telling you, like, I, like I've been saying to people, you know, every time he touches the ball, if I'm the Seattle guy working the music and the sound in the stadium, I am totally playing yeah. a Fat Albert theme. Now, now what about this? What about this? Every time he runs. Oh, Hear man. me out on this. A couple years back, uh, the Super Bowl run, um, Super Bowl 48 against Denver, we had run that whole season uh, with Marshawn Lynch. Obviously, we don't have a Marshawn Lynch, but we had fullback Michael Robinson, and we haven't been running a fullback since then. Mm-hmm. What, what about throw Eddie Lacy at fullback? He's big enough. I mean, he's more than big enough. And let Thomas Rawls and C.J. Prosize run behind him. Why not? You know, here, here's the issue with, with that. You know, the problem with Lacy is he, it's not the he good kind walk. of big. Well, he's it, throwing into the, people. It's not the good kind of big he's putting on. It's the bad <laughs> kind of big. He's trying to, you know, he's got the beer gut or the deer gut. Uh, you know, he he just <laughs> – <laughs> it's, I'm going. I'm going back to my Far Side cartoons. You know, with the bear, with the big, the big belly, and they said, "Yeah, all his friends did want to point out his deer gut." You know, so, but yeah, if he was if he was muscle and that big, mm. that would be one thing. And that's part of his injury history, is he gets overweight, out of shape, and then his joints just take the take the abuse, and he can't stay healthy. But um, turn sideways. In the mirror, acknowledge your name is Pot Bettis and lose <laughs> some weight. I tell you, you know, hey, that reminds and it's funny that because reminds, only in professional football can you call a 330-pound guy an elite athlete, but, you know, <laughs> uh, that's not a case for an elite athlete. Um, oh, I got a good joke. That reminds me, we, we need to send uh, positive wishes out to one of our snowbound buddies. Uh, yeah, I was about to mention John Pinto. That. Yeah, John Pinto is in Maine, snowbound. We need to send him good wishes. John John is about to totally go Jack Nicholson in The Shining in a few minutes. So, uh, you know, <laughs> it is it is it is getting to that point in the in the house. Yeah, he sent me a picture earlier, and you could see that it, it was like a hand reached up out of the snow. It was the uh, the handle of the shovel. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Meanwhile, it's been 80 degrees almost every day this uh, this month. Today it's actually cool, but we and have nice. we, we we had a weekend of winter. We were, that was it. We had we woke to 30 something high 30s this morning, and Monday it's supposed to be 79. Oh, yeah. oh, that's not oh that must be rough on you guys. Oh man, 79. How do you do it? <laughs> How we have nine. We have nine months of summer, and not oh. just like the 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 kind of let's hang out by the beach winter. summer kind of thing. Yeah, not like the, let's hang out at the beach kind of summer. Nice dry heat. No summer like the oppressive. Everything sweats. You oh, I've been there. The yeah, I mean you know that from up in yeah. Seattle. Just imagine that humidity. Except no, I, it's now. Ninety to hundred degrees with that humidity. So I had to deal with that a little bit in that. Well, Missouri was my first taste of humidity, and then went down to Georgia for a little trip, and I thought that would be fun. Well, don't go to Georgia in July if you're from the Pacific Northwest. You can't breathe. No, no. <laughs> I know. Did you and did you were you were active duty in the in the Gulf War, correct? No, Gulf War. Shoot, I was pooping my pants. Yeah, you're putting him in our age group here, Sean. That is Gulf War is 1991. You're talking about uh, when I say Gulf War, I mean when uh, the Iraqi War. The second one was when you were active, correct? Yes. So 2009, 2012 was my active days. Well, first of all, thank you again for your service, brother. Uh, Thanks, sir. For those who do not do not know, Zachary is a uh, retired. Mm, no, just got to help. <laughs> <laughs> he is a resigned uh, United States Army veteran. ets Yeah, no. that's the proper <laughs> okay, term. That sounds like a social that is the, That is the proper term is ets <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Thank you for your service, sir. I think I still have some MR, MREs uh, left over from Katrina. Do you want me to send them up there to you? Hey, you know what? I yeah. haven't had an MRE in about five years, so that actually sounds pretty good. You can send them up my way. Hey, man, that, and it's uh, 11 <laughs> years old. I promise you it's still as fresh as ever. Oh, it's still good. <laughs> <laughs> they still eat them things from the Civil War, don't they? <laughs> Spam in a can, man, I'm telling you. Oh, That's Lord. right. Spam and Vienna it sausage. It never goes bad. Um, okay. Um, How did we get so, off topic? <laughs> oh, we got to start talking about the military now. Um, so, who then, Matt, who do you see as, let's say, the top five picks in the draft? Uh, who do you see as your top five? Garrett, Trubisky, uh, Jonathan Allen, Leonard Fournette, and Mike Williams. Interesting. I like, Trubisky that high. I like that because he picked Leonard Fournette. Oh, yeah. Um, Leonard Fournette does not is, make it. It's sold on getting Fournette. They basically upgraded practically everything else just so Leonard Fournette can go to Jacksonville. Hey, that'd be awesome. That would be awesome. So Carolina doesn't get him because I do not want to have to look at Fournette twice a year, even though I think Fournette wouldn't do very well in Carolina because they just have a terrible offensive line. They paid for a, a lineman that the Minnesota fans were like, thank you for the charity. We are glad to be rid of him. He's not yeah. quite he's not quite the turnstile that we had 
years ago with Daryl Daryl Terrell with uh with um, to replace. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Bless you to replace uh, Willie Rofe when Rofe got hurt back in 2001. Um, but he's pretty close to being a human turnstile. So that's great that he's in Jacksonville I and mean, that's he's in Carolina and that Fournette will go to Jacksonville. That, I would appreciate that. Thank you very yeah. much. And that contract deal is basically a one-year tryout. Yeah, that deal, that five-year, five-year, $55 million, yeah, it has a one-year clause where if he screws up the first year, which he probably will, they get to cut him and nothing happens. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah I, his I his lawyer Well, you know, Jacksonville always seems to have one of the – Jacksonville's one of these teams that's always picking in the top five, has a – on paper, a great draft, but when it goes out to play on the field, it's a horrible team uh, because well, – I, I mean, you got to look at it. Like uh, two years ago, they have – what was it the number one or the number two pick? They picked Dante Fowler. And in, in, in the third rep of a non-contact, non-pad drill, he goes down with a blown-out knee. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's the old old Indianapolis Colts, old Indianapolis Colts luck. That was when, uh, yeah, the Colts were drafting uh, people like Trev Alberts and things like that, and they were getting injured every time you got drafted by the Colts. Um, Zach, how about you? How do you see? Who do you see as the top five picks of the draft? Do you have a quarterback in there in the top five? You know, I don't have a quarterback going in the top five. I don't like this year's this quarterback class this year. I, I just don't see anybody jumps off the page. Then again, though, it is the NFL draft. You never know what's going to happen and who's going to reach for who. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't done um, any mock drafts or anything. I haven't just had the time to do them. Um, so I don't have the top five picks for you. But um, as far as it goes for a quarterback, I, I don't see Trubinsky going that high. Um, maybe he is a first-round pick, and I'm sure he will be. Uh, but that's just like drafting Blaine Gabbard all over again, if you ask me. I hate to make that <laughs> comparison to a guy who hasn't played a snap in the league yet, but I just don't see anything special with him. Leonard Fournette is just that's one of those me. guys who's going to go top five, no doubt about it. Um, doesn't really matter where he goes. I think the guy's going to produce. He's just he's an impressive physical specimen of a running back, and, and he's – He's just amazing. I mean, you watch him at LSU, the guy is just untouchable, and I just think he's going to transfer to the league very Alabama. well. Let's just play Alabama, and Alabama touches him a lot. Uh, wow. the, running, <laughs> the running joke was uh, Alabama fans said when Leonard Fournette ran a uh, – what was it, a 4-5-40, a 4-4-40, something like that, a really good time. Four point. Oh, really? That, that Okay. Well, they four said five, basically they were – yeah, they were they were impressed because they'd never seen Leonard Fournette run for forty yards. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a taste of uh, Alabama's defense this year in uh, in the college football playoff, and our offense in University of Washington was really good all year long. And then you play Alabama, and uh, boy, we were awful. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, to me, Alabama lost that college that championship game because the offense became so inept. Um, Clemson did a great job, but I think um, it was more the case of they made that freshman quarterback uh, look like a freshman quarterback, and too many three-and-outs just wore out that defense. Uh, They Mm -hmm. could not keep up 
for that long in that second half. And that's basically what happened. And you kind of saw that replayed in the Super Bowl with uh, with Atlanta and, and New England. Um, Atlanta's offense could not control the clock long enough because of play calling and, and mistakes they made. But eventually that defense got tired and New England was able to come back just like Clemson did. So, you know, it, 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 I, th- I think, well, uh, in an interesting segue, I think the most talented quarterback in the draft this year probably could be Deshaun Watson from Clemson that, that won the national championship this year. Mm-hmm. But at best, uh, if you want my honest-to-God evaluation, I think it's going to be a three- to five-year project player at best because he's – he is a college quarterback, and he's going to have to make that transition from being a throw if you can, run if you have to, to being a one read, one read tuck and throw. Yeah, yeah. And he played what he prim- primarily in the shotgun, so he has to learn his footwork to come from under center. Yeah. Which is, I guess, that's why I was kind of surprised. You know, you got Trubisky going in in your top five there, Matt. And I do know that you know Jacksonville needs a quarterback. The Jets need a quarterback. The Browns need a quarterback. Um, 49ers. Quarterback. The Bears need a quarterback, despite giving all that money to that Bucks backup. Um, you know, where does Deshaun Foster fit then in y'all's mind in that in the, in a quarterback needy draft? Uh, it's not very good, but you've got enough quarterback needy teams that may reach and take one early or may trade back in first round to get one because they want that five-year deal. <laughs> I think that probably Trubisky goes first before Watson because he he played the more pro-friendly offense at North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, Washington, uh, Watson is going to basically have to be a break it down and reprogram your entire thinking and your style for him to be a, a starting quality player in the NFL. That's my opinion. How about you, Matt? Where do you see Watson going, if you, if anywhere in the first round? He'll be reached somewhere in the top 15. If he goes top 10, it's because someone traded into the draft. Begin. I have him going either to Cleveland, help him, or uh, Arizona, because they need someone to <laughs> replace Carson Palmer, who – is on his last leg, and you got Cleveland. Who? Well, when when do they not need a quarterback? In my opinion. Well, you know, yeah. You uh, were talking well, earlier about the turnstile. Yeah. Well, at least Cleveland has a nice Thank offensive you. line for him to wait ten seconds to get a ball to no receivers. Well, Cleveland picks Cleveland picks one and twelve. And yeah, that's a that's a two. They got one and twelve, so they could they could yeah. theoretically grab him at twelve. Um, Cardinals are at thirteen. They need a quarterback. Um, yeah, what he's going to do with with Cousins. I heard, uh, Cardinals are really enamored with Deshaun Watson. They really like him. They might even try to trade Arians love him ahead of uh of the Browns to get Watson. So if things don't go our way with uh. The draft say Barnett does go, does get picked ahead of us, and Cardinals really want to get Watson because they're afraid Cleveland is going to. That's that might not be a bad trade offer, in my opinion. 
Oh, drop down to 13? Okay. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, just pick up an extra pick with it, whether it's a third or even a fourth round. Um, Zach, how about you? Where do you see Watson going in this draft? Well, I thought all along um, up until, well, probably the past month or so, I thought he was going to be picked up by Cleveland just because Cleveland does the same thing every year. They reach for the high-profile, high-name guys coming out of college. They don't build a team around those guys to set them up for success, and it fails. Mm -hmm. I see them doing the same thing. Now, if they don't, I've also thought that Arizona as well would be going for him. And and hear me out on this. Uh, The way I look at Arizona, I look at them as, uh, one, a division rival with the Seahawks, and they do a lot of things. They're building their team a lot like Seattle has. Uh, You look at uh, Richard Sherman, well, you got Patrick Peterson, um, mm-hmm. You had uh, the Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew. We got Earl Thomas. They try to build their team a lot like ours. We have uh, we have Marshawn Lynch, uh, and then they got their running back David Johnson. It just they seem to copycat a little bit, and I see them look at Russell Wilson all these years, and they want a mobile quarterback, and so they're going to go for a big, high-profile mobile quarterback, Deshaun Watson. I just see them doing that. One of those two teams, Cleveland. Makes sense because it's Cleveland and that's what they do. But I can see Arizona definitely trying to do that and Bruce Arians loving to jump all over that, especially letting him play a year under Carson Palmer. I don't think that's a bad idea at all. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then there's one other team that I'm going to throw into the mix here for a quarterback that needs a quarterback that paid Cleveland to take the quarterback mistake they've got. Houston. Uh, Houston, Texas. They're picking 25th right in front of the Seahawks. Um, Houston is a bit of a wild card. What are they going to do with that 25th pick? If they see Watson slide past the Cardinals and the Browns, um, do they try and trade up to go get Watson? Or let's say that um, both Watson and uh, the, the Notre Dame quarterback uh, start Kaiser. sliding. Kaiser. Huh? Kaiser. Kaiser. Uh, or no, the, I'm sorry. That's a Notre Dame quarterback. I meant the uh, the uh, North Carolina quarterback Trubisky. Trubisky. Yeah, yeah. They start seeing a lot. those two guys there. Yeah, those two guys starting to slide. Does Houston get nervous and start looking for a trading partner? Um, or here we go again. Let's say that um, Houston takes. I don't know. I, I, I haven't studied Houston's needs enough to know for sure what they need other than a quarterback. But let's say Houston starts looking at running backs and they take a running back um, in that first round. Do they try and trade back into the to the 32nd pick with us to go get that quarterback at the bottom of the first round if they see um, quarterback slide past the Browns and the Cardinals? Uh, because, you know, you look at the other teams that are left. The Titans aren't going to take a quarterback. The Bucks aren't going to take a quarterback. The Broncos aren't. Uh, the Lions aren't. The Dolphins aren't. Uh, the Seahawks certainly are not. The Raiders certainly are not. Um, the Chiefs, well, maybe. Uh, Alan- the Cowboys, no. The Steelers, no. You know, the Packers, obviously, no. So, you know, there's a lot of teams that will ignore quarterback. So, you know, it's a possibility. I, th- just, I think um- – I think that uh, not only the the Houston Texans, but also the Denver Broncos, their strategy is in terms of what they're going to do in the first round is probably going to be shaped a lot by what develops with the Tony Romo situation and whether 
Williams is able to get him to come to them. Uh, the last accounts that I had, uh, the last thing that I heard on the, the whole thing was that Den, uh, Dallas wanted to work out some sort of trade situation rather than just uh, releasing Romo. They wanted to work out some sort of trade with Denver to try to get some sort of return on Romo. That's not going to happen. But, you know, that's that, that's that yeah. been about a week ago now. Yeah, and I mean, so, I, I thought I read – We might not even it, go for Romo even if released. Yeah, I thought yeah. he was scheduled to be released. I, I, maybe I misread that thing. All I know is I had the brilliant NFL. We might go for Romo if he's released. And they go, oh, really? Well, what if we work up a trade now? Yeah, well, it, yeah, that was right around the, the brilliant meme they had of uh, the ambulance driving down the highway with the sirens going. That's so Tony Romo was on his way to meet with the Tony with the uh, Houston Jacksons. So it was. A, I saw was that. A, that that, that yeah. was a good day. That was that was very funny. That was. They, I, I think that it, it, in all likelihood, in all seriousness, though, I, I do believe that. Romo goes either to Denver or to Houston. It's just which one of them is willing to sweeten the pot enough to get Jerry to to do business with them. Uh, I don't. That there to answer your question a little further. I, I think that's going to uh, trickle down and affect the first round draft strategy of both teams as well. I don't see him going to Houston or to Denver at all whatsoever. I just I, I think. John Elway just kind of moved on and passed that. I think Houston's going to get to the point where they get a little excited and pull the trigger and make something happen, and that's that's where Tony Romo is going to go. He's going to end up there. As far as Houston drafting a quarterback, maybe they do. If they get Tony Romo, and then they're like, okay, we can get Deshaun Watson as a backup and maybe even groom him under Tony Romo a little bit. I, I like that, and I, I could see that possibly happening. But I think if they're going into the draft without a quarterback, I don't think they're going to draft a guy like Deshaun Watson. I think that they're close enough in a bad division to make the postseason. They're close mm-hmm. enough to where they can continue bolstering that defense. I think they just lost one of their top cornerbacks. Uh, yeah. Draft, yeah. draft a corner, uh, bolster the rest of that defense back up, and maybe add a mm-hmm. couple pieces on offense to make your, get more weapons. And then – work on getting a, a veteran quarterback in there and then plan for the future, maybe next year's free agency or even a trade for somebody else to plan for your future quarterback. I just don't think now is the time to draft Deshaun Watson in the first round for Houston. The Houston Houston Texans remind me so much of that. This is before y'all's time. Well, not Sean's time, but before you two. Uh, the 1983 Saints under Bum Phillips. I mean, you had a great defense, a powerful running game, um, and you've got Kenny Stabler at 37 years old on his bad knees. You're trying to squeeze one more year out of him. And I think that's what they – You got they, you, know, you got everybody retired from the Houston Oilers playing oh, yeah. in the backfield of the New Orleans. Exactly, exactly. You know, you're trying to rebuild <laughs> the old – the old Houston Oilers love you blue era with uh with yeah, every fans wet dream right now trying to get every washed up veteran on the Saints. Yeah, I mean it's just, but 
but you know you, you're close and the, and the thing is with the Texans they feel like they've got the defense they're close we're just a quarterback away so we're going to we're going to do these things to get that quarterback and they keep trying to get that veteran guy uh, or that that guy that's going to carry them to that next level and i think that's their love affair with Tony Romo aside from him coming down from Dallas and making the Texans now legitimate the the team in in Texas uh, instead of the Cowboys, you know, you get Romo in there to be like that Kenny Stable to get them over the hump to win a playoff game to, you know, to advance in the playoffs because the AFC pretty much stinks, especially the AFC South, the division they play in. You know, you got the Jacksonville Jaguars, you've got the Colts, you've got the Titans who are an up-and-coming young team, but the Texans feel like they can – yeah, the Texans feel like they can take that next step. So they would almost that's why – yeah, well, that's – I mean, they think they've got all the pieces in place to make a run. You've got a good receiver. You've got a, a good offensive line that can run the ball. You've got a great defense that can rush the passer. You know, yeah, they lost Bowie, but, you know, they can get a cornerback in the draft. They just feel like they need yeah. to get that quarterback who can get that ball out to those receivers and make that next step. And, you know, so that's why I can see them looking at Watson, okay – Romo's made a glass. We know he'll probably get hurt sometime during the season. We can get a guy like Watson in there who can run as well as throw, maybe give us that whole um, almost like a Dallas Cowboy feel again, you know, with uh, with the quarterback they had in Dallas this past year from Mississippi State, whose name escapes me right now. And I know Matthew. Dak. Yeah, the Dak Prescott, yeah. I knew Matt was probably going to be screaming that name uh, Matthew, the big Mississippi State fan, screaming that name at the monitor right now. Uh, but, yeah, that same kind of feel where, you know, he doesn't have to make the plays. He can just make the plays, get his, the ball to his playmaker. So, well, the, again, well, the, just – just Me personally, I think that – and, you know, before – let me let me put this disclaimer out there. I, I think that maybe in all likelihood, Tony Romo may be one of the most underrated quarterbacks of the last decade playing for Dallas. But now that being said, uh, and this goes to. Had he not, not played for the Cowboys, I'd agree with you. <laughs> uh, well, because I, had he not played for the Cowboys, I probably would agree with you. But the fact that he plays for the Cowboys, um, it makes him overrated because ESPN will run a breaking news story that, Tony Romo had to go to the bathroom at halftime uh, because that is how the media is built. That's um, how you sell pictures. That's how you get money. Uh, I mean, Seattle. Well, you didn't let me finish. Well, I was going to say Seattle knows. That it. being said, that being said, if you're making a plan for your future that involves Tony Romo, you don't have a future. No, not a no, long term future at all. No. And I was going to say, Seattle knows what I mean because Seattle wins a Super Bowl in 2015 and the media acts like, oh, yeah, yeah, they won a Super Bowl. But let's talk about the Cowboys. Let's talk about the Patriots. Let's talk about, you know, what goes what the, the major media market team. Yeah, they got that team up there in the Northwest somewhere, but, you Let's know. Think about Chip Kelly and the Eagles and how about they're going to run the table and go to oh, the God. Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think about it. What well, team gets hey, all the 
Michael Thomas is a prime example. Uh, excuse me, not Michael Thomas. Brandon Cooks is a prime example. When they're de debating on whether or not to take this deal to trade Cooks, it was Patriots are debating the deal. Mm. Come on, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. That's the, so that's the ultimate uh, disservice, uh, disrespect, whatever you want to call it. I mean, because in all honesty, I think the Seattle defense and people right now watching is going, is this a Seattle podcast or a Saints podcast? But I'm I think liking Seattle, it. Yeah, I'm just saying, I think the Seattle <laughs> defense, it was just as good, if not better, defense. But we heard all about Ray Lewis and we heard all about the Baltimore Ravens after they won their Super Bowl. Um, but you rarely heard anything about Seattle Unless Seattle was on TV, and it just—it's it, the nature. That's because that's really, that, that's because that German boy jumped on the reporter after that their game. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's really you know, it's all these the small market versus the major media markets, and Baltimore is outside Absolutely. of Washington D.C. You know, so if it wasn't for Green Bay's legacy in the league, they would get ignored. When's the last time you heard anything about Buffalo? Not that Buffalo is really relevant. Last thing I, I mean, heard about Buffalo they was still, they signed Stephen Hauschka, and I was like, okay, whatever. Buffalo. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> basically <laughs> that they were unloading their secondary. Yeah, but I mean, even if, even when Buffalo was relevant, uh, they rarely got talked about. You know, it was always talking about the major media markets, and that's just that's been a pet peeve of mine forever. And that's why the Saints get disrespected. That's why uh, Drew Brees certainly gets disrespected um, by the media when they but start you talking. Know, you know, that's the only uh, – that's that's comfortable territory for us. That's the only place that we know how to operate from. Yeah, but it gets if old. We, it, it really does. Well, tell me about it. I've been doing it as long as you have, brother. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get – you know, Drew Brees throws for 5,000 yards uh, five times. And, oh, yeah, yeah, Drew Brees is in that stat. But, you know, let's talk about Tom Brady. Let's talk – let's yeah. talk you. Who's the better guy, Brady or Manning? You know, uh, and we'll throw Aaron Rodgers in the mix. Serve Drew don't, you think, don't you think at the well, same I'm, time it's kind of, a, it's kind of a, a blessing in disguise to be one of those small market teams that isn't talked about as much because – when you do have one of those seasons where um, you're quietly winning and you're one of the top teams in the league, nobody's paying attention to you. But then when you get to the Super Bowl and you win, like you guys did in, what was that, 2009, I want to say? Yeah, yeah. 2009. Yeah. yeah. Um, nobody was expecting the, the Saints that year. Everybody was still talking about the Peyton Mannings, the Tom Brady's, Ben Roethlisberger, all those guys in those major markets, well, then you shock the whole world and it's a huge celebration and everybody's just losing their mind because there's this team that nobody talked about all year long just came and whooped everybody's butt and won the Super Bowl. Yeah, you know, it's you nice when you win. You are welcome. Yeah, it's <laughs> nice when you win, but it's very frustrating when you're not winning, but individuals have fantastic seasons and it kind of gets ignored because they're like, oh, yeah. Because he plays for the Saints, you know. Well, they talk about thing. you when you lose to a, a big market team like that. They talk about you for a minute. Yeah. 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 Talk about how well, much prime example: last last season we had two receivers 
over 1,000 yards receiving, one quarterback over 5,000 yards receiving, and a running back over 1,000 yards rushing. That's only the second time since the league began that it's ever happened. But Did we you were, know that? No, I didn't know that. But we were seven, we were 79, and none of those guys went to the Pro Bowl, except and, uh, Drew did as, a, uh, as an alternate. Oh, but none of those other guys were in the Pro Bowl, um, especially this guy here, uh, Michael Thomas. He wasn't even in the conversation for Rookie of the Year, uh, and that's really what kind of taps my behind. Well, but um, from an outsider's and, uh, perspective, NFL, when I, now, when I wait, wait, Matt, Matt, I'm sorry, Zach. What were you gonna say from an outsider's perspective? What I was gonna say from an outsider's perspective, when I talked to you guys, I believe it was on October, mm-hmm. uh, before the Saints game and Seahawks down in New Orleans. Uh, I was very knowledgeable on Michael Thomas, and I talked to you guys a lot about being worried about the guy. Um, other other people and fans around the league, we we noticed those type of things. Maybe. The league doesn't when it comes to Pro Bowl and noticing uh, what these guys do throughout the season. But um, I talked to you guys about it like I the dude is a monster because he is a monster. So eventually he's going to get that notoriety. He may not be uh, one of those big name guys because of the market he is in. But people are going to know coming into that week when you're playing New Orleans, you got to watch out for this guy and they're going to be game planning for him. Absolutely, absolutely. Matt, what were you going to say? You froze on us for a second. What were you getting ready to say? Uh, what I was going to say is that you can just feel the uh, pro NFC East because uh, on NFL.com they made a, a video of top ten rookie performances. They showed basically four players. Three. You had four different videos of uh, – of, uh, Ezekiel Elliott going off. You had three different videos of Dak Prescott going off. You had two different videos of Carson Wentz going off. And both those games, he he threw for under 200 yards and a touchdown. And I think the one other play they had was, uh, I think, Joey Bosa. That was it. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. showed the Michael Thomas the Michael Thomas reception against the 49ers. I remember that. You know, yeah, and that, that to me that was an impressive that was an impressive catch, but wasn't his best one though. He made that catch against the 49ers. But yeah, even again, I tied um, Yeah, that's pretty biased. And and all of a sudden every NFL fan was going, Yes, yes, yes. I'm like Yeah. Um okay. Well we we kind of went a little bit over today. I refer uh, to Jack I refer to Jack in Batman. This town needs an info. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we kind of went over time, but it, that's to be expected. That's kind of kind of be expected, but um, so we, we're pretty much we're pretty much in agreement on who the top five are, except for the quarterback position, which, you know, again, um, you're going to see a reach. Yeah, it depends on who reaches who reaches based on what was left on the board uh, and who decides to get a quarterback because they're afraid they're not going to be there in the second round. Um, well, I think that Matt's correct. Uh, there's going to be a team that reaches way, way, way on somebody, be that Trubisky, be that uh, Deshaun Watson, but mm-hmm. somebody is going to hit that panic button and they're going to reach for a quarterback in the first round. And it and may possibly it more than likely will be more than one team, probably two. Right. 
that that plays well into I know a lot of people don't like the fact the Saints have only got the third for Cooks, but that actually plays well into the Saints hand because the more reaches they have in the draft, the better your chances are that a good player slides down to 32nd. And let's say that it, it doesn't, then you have the opportunity to be down and acquire more picks because that's what the Saints need. The Saints need and ultimately, that's why this trade happened. Saints need picks because they need bodies. They need multiple, uh, multiple draft picks. You can't just, you know, you need seven, you need eight, you need ten. So you're going to see, uh, hopefully, see that they're going to do a lot of moving. And with quarterbacks being in the play, with cornerbacks sliding and rising and things like that, I think you're going to see – some opportunity for the Saints to trade down and acquire more picks, and that's that's great for us. So, well, let me ask you guys uh, one one last question before we sign off. I, I want to ask you yeah. guys this: based on the moves that the Saints have made in free agency, they didn't really get an opportunity tonight to address that. We'll have to do that next week mm-hmm. uh, with with the acquisition of Larry Warford, AJ Klein. Ted Ginn Jr., uh, the re-signing of Nick Fairley, which I absolutely consider to be a free agent acquisition all over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also today, Alex Okafor, do you think that we need quite as many picks as, as what you're talking about, or does this put us closer to the mark than we've ever been before? Uh, I, I'll answer first and then get some feedback from Matt. Uh, I think we need bodies. You know, I, I think with the with the injuries we had, who our top four or five cornerbacks this past season were all finished the season in your reserve. Um, you know, yeah. we, we had the problem with Armstead finishing most of the games and going into reserve. Um it's it's just you lost two of the three tight starting times. Ends that the Saints had. Uh, the only one who played the whole season was, um, you know, F- uh, Fleener. You know, so you need to have more and more people on the team to make up your core. So you're going to need more draft picks because draft picks are cheaper than free agents. Um, heard, um, you know, from the from the Lions, clearly is going to be a starter, probably at left guard. That means that you know Evans is out. Um, Okafor is going to have a role in the team. Ginn's going to be a kick returner. Klein will probably be a middle linebacker. So what happens? You know, there's another good example. You have have a backer in Ellaby, but he can never stay healthy for 16 games. He played the most games this past season. But um, so, you know, you've got – you still need draft picks to come in, even though, like I think I said in the outset, you need three corners. Uh, that the corners, uh, you probably need another another linebacker at least to come in. You definitely need a pass rushing defensive end to come in. So you're not relying purely on Okafor to come in as your as your uh, primary pass rusher opposite of Cam Jordan. Uh, so yeah, even though you've made these moves, you still need draft picks. You still need to bring yeah. in other people. I, I guess what I'm asking is, it, does this put 
does our moves in free agency for the first time in quite some time, actually, does this put us in a position where we're not going to have to be quite so reliant on nailing it in the draft? Oh, I, I still think you got to nail it in the draft regardless. Um, the difference is you don't have to reach for that guy have and the Saints really, except for in 2014, I don't think the Saints have really reached to grab players uh, to fill needs. I think they've always just taken best player available, and it'll frustrate you to no end because you know last year we needed a guard, we didn't draft a guard. Um, in 2015, we didn't we needed a guard, we didn't draft one. Right, um, you know, I think Kyrie Fort. Yeah, I mean, you you drafted a quarterback and re- really didn't need to draft a quarterback. We should have drafted um, a guard in 2015. But that's just that philosophy. And, and Sean Payton is a gambler. Sean Payton likes to be aggressive. He is one of those guys who bets it all on black and throws it out there. And sometimes it's going to turn out snake eyes like we've been seeing lately. But other times when he hits at seven, like you mentioned, 2009, uh, you were rewarded with a Super Bowl team. So, yeah. but he is one of those guys that is just going to, that's the kind of coach he is, the kind of person he is. Um, you know, and that and that's why the Saints are the way they are right now. Well, and I had done Matt? a little bit of, uh, sorry, uh, didn't mean to cut you guys off there, but I, I, I talked to Sean on the phone uh, the other day and we, and we were kind of talking about the show uh, and about the Saints a little bit, and uh, uh, got into talking about uh, putting on your GM cap as kind of where the conversation went. And, and so I had done a little bit of digging into the Saints uh, depth chart a little bit and c- kind of came up with a couple things uh, that I noticed right off the bat that I took down. Uh, not only just injuries, but it looked a little old as far as um, – your, your main linebackers went. You, you brought up Janelle Ellerby with the injuries. He's also eight, nine years into the league. Uh, I even think you had James mm-hmm. Laurinaitis at one point, uh, if mm-hmm. he's not still there. Uh, no, he's so, gone. He's gone. Uh, right. So you, you had him there at one point, too. He's about the same age, I do believe. So uh, younger uh, linebacker, I think, would be huge. Uh, also getting some depth at that position. Uh, we had talked last season about your defensive secondary. Um, not, yeah, you guys unfortunately did have some injuries there, which kind of turned things down that could bounce back. Uh, but I, there was a name that I came up with because I remember we were laughing about uh, Jairus Bird last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, mm-hmm. There's a guy who could possibly fall um, even into the later rounds uh, that you may not know a lot about. Um, his name is Buda Baker, safety from University of Washington. Again, I'm a little biased, yeah, but uh, he ran a four four five at the Combine. You watch film on the guy. He's all over the field. He kind of reminds me a lot of, again, biased, Earl Thomas. Uh, he's all over the field. He's smaller stature, mm-hmm. but the guy's a tackler. He's not a big hitter, but he's a tackler, and he's all over the field. He will cover anybody deep, and he's just making plays all over. Uh, another guy I thought that might be interesting, as I brought up safety and linebacker, um, if mm-hmm. he were to fall, and we haven't talked about him at all, is Jabril Peppers because he's kind of that tweener between linebacker and safety. Say you got a guy like that. Now you got depth at two positions. Say you're solid at linebacker, but you need somebody to drop back into safety. You could throw him there and vice versa. 
those are just a couple things I had come up with that I thought uh, might definitely help the franchise out. And it was all defensive based. I think as long as you have uh, a guy like Michael Thomas and a quarterback like Drew Brees and you can give him time, I think the focus just goes to the defensive side of the ball. Right, right. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Wow. Uh, you know, what, what's that, Matt? Oh, nothing. Him mentioning real peppers. I just had to take a nice swig of it because I'm sorry. Uh, well, you know, not well, one. Here's, here's, <laughs> the thing, here's the thing with peppers. Here's the thing with peppers. Uh, the Saints do employ a lot of three safety sets. Back in depth has been so shallow. Um, but you've got a Kenny Vaccaro in there who kind of acts as that hybrid linebacker slash safety. Yeah, so you, safety. You was, that's what Peppers yeah, is. He's was, basically your more athletic box safety. Yeah, so you would, exactly in front of him where he can just run and shoot. Um, so you you know you 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 possibly would have two guys playing roughly the same position, but it's still a possibility. It's still something, you know, it, you have to go and break down the film and look at, you know, how he would fit in your offense. Um, one last thing, and I really, we're really over time. So I'm just going to mention it real quick. I mean, uh, speaking of guys who are multiple position kind of players, um, a receiver I like a lot, and I know Matt and I, you and I have talked about this uh, via text messages. I like Curtis Samuel from Ohio State a lot uh, because he played a running back slash receiver for Ohio State, kind of like a Percy Harvin who Seattle's familiar with. Um, and I think he would do well in a Saints uh, Sean Payton system. I know. I mentioned. I said dirty word, Percy Harvin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but That's a cuss word. It, yeah, but he would be Percy Harvin without the insanity. Um, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> Zachary just went into palpitations, man. Yeah, I mean, I could just see Sean Payton using him, kind of uh, starting out. Their favorite. I'm probably gonna get way too technical. Their favorite position is what they call eleven or or. Um, I'm drawing a blank on it now, but it's a, it's a formation uh, they like to run posse, 11 or posse, which is a three-wide set. But you could theoretically start out almost as Samuel in the single back, and then he just drops out into the single back over into uh, more of a spread, wide-open formation, and you can get mismatches in the defense that way. So it's just, again, system – does this player work into what you're trying to do offensively or defensively? I think the Saints would be intrigued with somebody like a like a um, a Peppers or a Samuel, someone who can do multiple things, um, or even the USC cornerback who can do kick returns as well as um, you know play cornerback. You know, just all kinds of things we could work with. You know, the more flexible you are, the better it is for an offense like the Saints or defense like what the Saints are trying to put together. So, ambling. (laughs) (laughs) It's the the quarterback in you, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt, Matt, how can people follow you on on all the social media outlets? Well, I got Twitter, uh, NFL Ulrich17. I usually comment a lot on – a lot of what's uh, being posted about, about the draft and even some of the free agent pickings. I even uh, I even uh, do a couple mock drafts for on Walter Football's uh, Reader mock drafts. My latest one was posted, I think, Sunday night. It's pinned up to my uh, 
Twitter profile. I'm also on Facebook. And that's really the only only ways I want you guys to contact me. <laughs> oh, how nice. Uh, how, about, how about you, Zach? I can, uh, well, since the last time we talked, I got the Twitter going because you guys are making fun of me about it. Uh, so you can follow me at VetchyZ09. That's V-E-T-S-C-H-Y. Z-Y. Or E-Y, sorry. And uh, you can follow me at uh, profootballspot.com, Zachary.Vetch. Um, I will be putting up some articles uh, as a draft review. Uh, I'd like to go over that. Unfortunately, I'm going to definitely be talking about the Seahawks, so you probably won't be interested in that. Uh, and you can also find me at Facebook at Zachary Vetch, Z-A-C-H-E-R-Y. Uh, you can find me there and uh, look forward to any comments on any articles you guys want to throw out there. Try to be nice if you can. If not, whatever, we'll roll with it. <laughs> That's all right. You know, my only hatred really is for the Cowboys and the Falcons. Uh, a lot of people are surprised I don't hate the Seahawks because of beast mode and, and and the beatdowns we've been getting. But, you know, I, I kind of sympathize with the Seahawks. I, too. I know. Uh, I, but I kind of <laughs> sympathize with – I kind of sympathize with the Seahawks. I really do because of the stuff we talked about earlier about them being a small market team that prior to 2012, no one really paid any attention to the Seattle Seahawks. Um, and I, I get that in that, you know, it, it always bothered me that uh, it was always more important to talk about the major media market teams that, you know, that if you're a small market team, especially a small market team that's struggling, you don't exist in the NFL, and and I'm I'm very sensitive to that kind of stuff because you know for you want the years, ultimate irony, yeah, the ultimate irony. Had the Seahawks ever switched from the AFC, they would be running the show right now. Mm. You're right. You're right. If they were, if the Seahawks were still in the AFC West, imagine. You're playing the Raiders twice a year. You're playing the Broncos. You're playing uh, Kansas City twice a year. Chiefs. Yeah, you know, that is not. If you were still in the AFC, that is not, you would be running the show. That is not that intimidating what? of a league, of a conference. Coulda, woulda, shoulda, right? Yeah. Um, well, you know, when Seattle first came in the league, I don't know how many people know this, but in 1976, Seattle was in the NFC West uh, the first time. Yep. They were in the Saints division. They were with the Saints, the Rams, the 49ers, you know, um, and the Falcons. Um, and uh, they moved them over to the AFC because you had both expansion teams, the NFC, because Tampa Bay went straight to the uh, NFC Central back then. And, uh, yeah, we uh, – prior to, to 2011, uh, us beating the uh, Seattle Seahawks 51 to – 14 or 21, something like that, and 78, I think, was the uh, largest margin of Saints victory ever until we beat the uh, Colts 62-7 to in 2011. So, Oh, well, good for you. You beat a two-year-old. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you. You're fighting with children. So, good one. Anyway, that's the history. Salty. That's the history there. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but thank well, you we guys. And for all of our listeners, these are two of the guys that we plan on having our big draft uh, special on April the 25th, correct? Correct. correct. Okay. 
April 25th, uh, we we plan on having Zach and uh, Matt both back uh, as guests on that show. Thank you guys so much for being a part of our show, man. Appreciate it. Hey, before I sign Absolutely. off, Sean, I wanted to let you know, man, you're not alone in the baldness category, brother. I got you. Oh, crap. I took my hat off. Yeah, you did. That's okay. <laughs> I just did, too. So we're cool, man. I did, too. Hey, yours come with your gig. Mine came with chemo. That's true. Zach, yeah, well, brother, I'm doing it naturally. Man. So appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thank y'all for coming. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Zach. All right, Matt. Thank you for being on tonight. And um, thank you guys for sticking with us. We went over time. We went an hour and a half. And I was trying to stay within an hour and 15 minutes at least. Um, <laughs> join us <laughs> Join us next week when uh, we have an exciting show with Tyler. A really big show. Uh, really we'll, big we'll, show. Uh, see how many people try and figure out who that is referenced with that one. Um, I know. I know. <laughs> Join us next week when we talk about Tyler. We'll have Tyler, and we'll talk about the upcoming uh, what new free agents they've signed. We'll talk some more about the draft. We'll try and focus more on the Saints rather than just the draft in general. And uh, we'll talk some more about any trades they make. And who knows? By that time, we might have Malcolm Butler on the team, and we have a fifty and, million and dollar contract year. to talk about. Next year, uh, next year, next week, we're going to go a lot more in depth with a more information on these new saints that we have in, in terms of the free agents that we've picked up. No problem. No problem. Thank you guys again for joining us and uh, we'll see you. We'll see you next time on under the dome. Good night, everybody. Thank you guys. We love you so much. Thank you for your support. <laughs>